Hi, this is Dave Fusinski with the Berkeley Guitar Department Coffee Talk. Hello and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berkeley College of Music. My name's Ian and we have another episode of Coffee Talk for you. We've got guitar professor David Fusinski with us this week. As a self-described jazz musician who doesn't want to play just jazz, David has performed with folks like Hiromi, George Russell, Stuart Copeland, and others. And he's also played and recorded extensively with the Screaming Headless Torsos in the Hasidic New Wave. Professor Fusinski is also a Guggenheim Fellow and is the Artistic Director for the Planet Microjam Institute here at Berklee College of Music, exploring microtones and other eclectic avenues for improvisation. Fuse joins us here at Coffee Talk and shares his powerful techniques for connecting with your heart and your mind to harness your full potential as a musician. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with David Fusinski. Hi everyone, I'm Kim Ferlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department. Welcome to another Coffee Talk. This week, we have David Fusinski with us, Professor Dave Fusinski. Hey, how are you, Fuse? I'm good. Good. No coffee, Cheers. tea, sorry. <laughs> tea talk. We've got Assistant Chair Cheryl Bailey. Hey, Cheryl. Cheryl. Hey, everybody. Yeah. And Ian Steed, our Senior Coordinator. Hey, all. Hey. Hey, cheers. Cheers, everybody. So, um, so Fuse, open up uh, this coffee talk by telling us what you're drinking. All right, <clears throat> I am drinking not just green tea, but matcha green tea with turmeric. Ooh, good stuff. Yeah, so, that's a good mix. High octane. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mixing traditions as is your reputation in all I things. I guess so, yep. Very funny how everyone's musical personality tends to translate into their coffee or tea of choice, Cheryl. Isn't that true? Mm, what yeah. are you drinking, <laughs> Cheryl? Well, I have my own home roast. Mm -hmm. It's a Brazilian, I tried a Brazilian dry process and it makes a nice kind of high-end <clears throat> cafe roast, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've got, uh, I mean, in coffee, I'm a traditionalist, as you may imagine, but small batch roast from my friend Alan down the street. And wow. uh, this one is from Bali. Mm. Really nice. Um, he roasted it yesterday. Thank mm. you, Alan. Um, Ian, what about you? You know, I just have a, uh, a medium roast, put it through the, uh, the old AeroPress. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not get any money from that company <laughs> or any company this, this the views of this podcast do not represent the berkeley college of Music. um no i just got some some medium roast through an aero press and some half and half is how i take it i like nice. that that's good it's really good um so fuse what we usually do when we start out is we ask people to talk a little bit about their first day at berkeley and for you you were a faculty member on the first day you came. And so um, 
because we're going to be talking about so many things, I wonder if you just have like impressions, like you come onto campus for the first day, who did you meet? What did you see? What did, what do you remember? Like, what are some things that just stick out to you? I remember um, going into my office, closing the door, <clears throat> and the, on the one hand being elated, wow, what a privilege, but then also being scared. Will I measure up? I mean, this is not just one of the music schools in the world, this is Berkeley. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. I had in some ways a lot of expectations, but no idea what to expect. It was so. So not unlike a lot of the students then. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully, and, and actually my philosophy is whenever I'm sitting across a student, I always try and remember I used to be sitting in that <laughs> chair. So yeah. they ask me something and I, you know, I just reply, but sometimes in the back of my head, I, I, I try and re remind myself, you know what, just be, because you think what you're saying makes sense doesn't mean it'll make any sense to them. Mm -hmm. And times are changing. So um, it's, it's a challenge and um, it's, it's also a privilege. Yeah, you know, it's interesting is I think we all see the students on their very first moments really in the guitar department, which is kind of their first moment of having, making a musical connection with the school because they've gone to orientation and they've gone, and they come to do ensemble ratings auditions and you're always a person who does those. Mm -hmm. And so now we're doing them on Zoom these last couple times. And when we're in person, it's everybody sitting in the hallway all together. Right. And then you walk through and there are a number of students who've researched the school or come because of different faculty and they'll say like, oh my God, that's David Fusinski that's screaming at the torso. I was like, I saw them or I have that record. Or, and it would never occur to them in that moment that you felt the same excitement and insecurity that they are feeling now. And so I really think that's cool um, because I, I share that with you. And I know that Ian and Cheryl, you've said that you've had those, you had those moments too when you came. And uh, I think it's good for us all to remember that that never really goes away. That kind of dual feeling of being really excited to be at a place like Berkeley and then also being afraid of it at the same time. So that's- Yeah, that's cool. in some ways, I, I hope it never goes away. Gosh, the day it goes away, that'll be the day when I've been there, you know. Wait, so I mean, talk about that for a minute because I think that's really a great point because I think a lot of students would say, well, I can't wait till this feeling of being, of being nervous goes away, but you want it to stay. What does that give you? Like what, what opportunity or do you see in that for yourself? It keeps me on my toes. <laughs> um, it keeps me, <clears throat> it keeps me always trying to be ready for the moment I mean, I had a lot of preconceived, you know, ideas and I thought I wanted to, you know, I wanted to work with the best students, which to me were the high level ones. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, 
You know, somebody who starts to play their instrument at age 13 and they go to Berkeley when they're 18, that's five years, and they're already a, at, a, at a high level, some of them are topped off. Mm-hmm. It's hard to reach them. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized in the long run, the best students are the students with thirsty minds. Yeah. Well, how, how do you help someone? This is something that Cheryl and I have talked about a lot. I agree. And she's laughing because we just literally talked about it. Um, because I agree with you. We, we all know students who came and you can say like that person worked harder than I've ever seen anybody work. And what they're doing is incredible. It's like, or you say like, that's a, they are practicing so much. It's like they're, they're still themselves, but they sound like a different guitar player because they're willing to do the hard thing and work really hard. And I think it, you're right. Sometimes it is harder when you come in and you, you're the most talented person from your town and, and uh, everybody loves your sound. And they're like, just come do what you do in my group or my ensemble or my class. Then maybe it actually becomes harder for them to work on the things that scare them because now they have this kind of reputation to protect and they feel yeah. like it would. And so how do you help someone who's in that position? Who's just like comes with a ton of really great stuff going on how do you convince them that it's also a time to dig into the things that scare them and and that they are not strong in sometimes you know i don't love being tough but sometimes you have to be tough because you love them Mm -hmm. and you know, it is a problem when a student comes in <clears throat> and they play circles around everybody else, even you. But I have to remind them of a couple, I, 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 there's a couple of issues that I have to bring up, which is, <clears throat> hey, listen, yeah, you came in here at the beginning of the semester and then you end the semester here. Um, I understand you're still like, uh, head and shoulders above everybody else, but this is no growth. Why is that an A? Okay, and and okay, I understand this is school. Um, you know, I'm not really name dropper, but this is like, hey, I've, I've played with Jack DeJanet. Mm-hmm. And, and Jack wouldn't like it if at the beginning of the summer tour, you're here and then you end up here. He wants to see growth. Mm-hmm. And just for the people listening without watching, what you're doing is you're just holding your hand like the start right. is the same level as the end. Yeah, so you're yeah. a flat line and not a and not a um, an angular line going up, right? Yeah, it's just like and also it's like you don't you want to grow? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. don't you want to um, keep moving forward? Isn't this exciting? Yeah, and what if their answer is inside? Maybe they're not even able to tell you, but what if their answer is well, of course I do, but I don't want to show you that I don't know how to do something. And I don't want to show you that I'm weak in an area. Um, um, what do you do? In general, as much as possible, I, I, this is not totally addressing that, but as much as possible, I try and work in the style that they're interested in. And that gets them excited because for me, there's a very simple truth. The major scale is a major scale is a major scale. It doesn't matter if it's Beethoven or if it's Miles or Coltrane or if it's death metal. Mm-hmm. 
So if they're excited about some kind of gent thing, I mean, I'm not that informed. It's like, okay, I mean, you know, they probably know the major scale, but here's a new, here's a new scale that they're unfamiliar with. And it's like, well, check this out in this context, but I want you to translate that into your language. So what that does, or at least what I try and do is empower the student and that hopefully makes them, and it doesn't always work, but it hopefully makes them more comfortable. Yeah, you know, the question that that brings up for me is, is about your experience, because I think we know you as a player that brings together a lot of different influences from all over the world. And yet when you went to school and you were, were you able to do that when you were the age of your students or did you feel like the school environment that you went to as a student pushed you in a more um, focused well, stylistic way? How did you deal with that? I went true? to a very avant-garde um, program at New England Conservatory. It used okay. to be called Third Stream. Now it's called CI. Right. So... <laughs> In terms of like, <laughs> there was a pecking order. You know, the classical students, the, <clears throat> they look down on the jazz players and the jazz players, actually, if you can believe it, they look down on us. I, I we do believe it. We were on the bottom of the totem pole. Um, the thing about the third stream department was it was heavily based on ear training mm. and use to their credit they used um, melodies from all over the world. Mm. So <clears throat> it was very eclectic to begin with. And third stream was kind of coined by Gunther Schuller. The first stream meaning classical, the second um, jazz, and then the third would be if you mix those and adding world music elements, what would you come up with? And um, I don't know if there's destiny, but I guess I was destined to be the, the fuse. I mean, yeah. not just a nickname, but my, my mother was black from South Carolina. My dad was German from Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, they were kind of quiet pioneers in their own way. They got married in 1960. It wasn't even legal to get married in my mother's home state of South Carolina. They mm -hmm. had to get married in Queens. And eventually I, you know, when I really got interested in music, I went through their record collection and they had R&B and pop and some of the normal stuff. My father was into a lot of classical stuff and there was some jazz and I would just pick things out and I at one point was actually scratching my head because I kept listening to different things and I was always wondering, hmm, if I take this melody from here mm. and uh, this harmony from over there and then this groove from back there and if I smash them together, what would happen? <laughs> like when I was 19, I wrote this, uh, this like jazz arrangement for a section of Beethoven's first symphony and at the same time, I was like, why am I doing this? But for me, it, I was always interested in fusing stuff. I was always like this musical scientist. Mm -hmm. And 
most often my musical experiments blew up in my face, but <laughs> the nice thing about music, you know, it's not science, you know, after ex a huge explosion, you just count off the tune again. <laughs> That's um, great. So what I noticed though, is when it worked, the result was greater than the sum of the elements. Mm. So a harmony here, a rhythm here, a melody here. So what would happen was one plus one plus one would equal five or mm. seven, or, you know, ideally 59,000. Right. So it was really rewarding. So for me, that was always very natural. What, what wasn't was, and this is kind of my fear for the high level students. Mm. I arrived at New England Conservatory and there were players who could play circles around everyone else, including the faculty. Mm -hmm. um, they knew how to play, but they didn't know what to play. Right. I already had ideas of like some screaming headless torso stuff, mm -hmm. which um, back then was a punk rock and reggae band with an opera singer. I thought that would be really cool. Um, so I knew what I wanted to do and things have changed over the years, but I didn't know how. Great. And to kind of come back to that first question in a way, again, it's a little bit of tough love, but these high level players who can play everything I also say, listen, I, I watch you play and I'm amazed. I close my eyes though. I don't know who you are. You're not mm -hmm. telling me anything. You're not telling me anything about you. You're telling me a whole bunch of stuff that you know, but you're not telling me anything about you. And the way I deal with that teaching wise is I really push melodic development techniques. Simple yeah. melodic, you know, compositional stuff like da 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 So I mean, you should notice two things. That was probably the worst rendition of Beethoven's Fifth you've ever heard. Number two is he says so much with so little. And improvisationally, if you check out Django Reinhardt's "I'll See You in My Dreams," I mean, I almost never use the G word, but to me, that's absolutely genius. Um, yeah. Coltrane, Coltrane Crescent, um, Love Herbie's solo on Fall, Wayne Shorter. I mean, here's a very bold statement. They do only, they only do two things. They either play stuff they've worked out or in the moment they take very simple motifs and develop them. And I tell the students, again, I'm trying to empower them. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you could, you're going to play like Coltrane tomorrow. But you can take these simple ideas and develop them. That's right. And what's really nice about that is that you are starting to sound like you because you will choose motifs that nobody else does. And even if there was the astronomic um, improbability of you and I choosing the same motifs, we would still develop them differently. That's right. So I really pushed melodic development, apparently so much that I've gotten some negative feedback in some of my teacher evaluation. Dave Fusinski only knows melodic development. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
you won't get that from us um, because I think that's such a powerful thing that you've identified that um, that it takes a lot of courage to develop yourself, but that's what you have to do to have longevity and develop your music. You have to get to know who you are and then you have to get to know how you work on things. And when you think about it, if you're listening from the outside, you're not a guitar player, you think, well, of course, because the guitar doesn't make sound on itself. You have to understand how it works and you have to understand how your hands work. And you have to understand how your mind and your ear works. And if you're not paying attention to who you are, then you're not fully doing that. So yeah. I think that's um, that's a powerful thing that that you let who you were and what you were interested and curious about lead you in your development. I think that that's really powerful for people coming to Berkeley, especially. Thank you. Well, um, what I like to just really briefly, what I like to say is to my guitar students, I tell them, you know, your instrument isn't really guitar. Mm -hmm. Your instrument is right here, your heart. The guitar is merely an extension. Now, if you want to play like somebody else, that's fine. You know, everyone's done that. But eventually, why? And how is it possible for you to pick up Van Halen's heart or Pat Metheny's heart and play their instrument? It's first of all, impossible. And, se and second of all, how are you gonna play their instrument better? And on, on top of that, you have your own. Mm -hmm. you, you, yeah. you have your own. And, and with these melodic development techniques, I tell them, look, I can't teach you creativity, but I can train your creative reflexes and then as soon as you can manipulate these motifs on the outside, then you'll see, you'll start to develop the motifs on the inside. Mm -hmm. And then you'll, you'll start cooking with fire. That's nice, that's beautiful. Uh, Cheryl, there is this one year, this is when you were on the faculty before you became assistant chair, where a group of students came in, they're very excited. They're um, from Asia and they wanted to choose American names as well as pick a teacher. So they come into my office during that time and they're very excited because they had heard about Fuse. Mm -hmm. And they thought, this is a model of how I'm going to pick the name I'll be called in, in English in like American English. And um, they're explaining it to me. They're like, he's called Fuse because he's a fusion person and he brings together all these different things. That's the only reason they people call him Fuse. And I had to explain to them also that your name was Fusinski and that we shortened it. And they all just, they looked so amazed. And one says like, he is such a lucky man. <laughs> his name matches well, his music. You, you, you know, that's because of the American pronunciation. I grew up in Germany mm. and up until age 19, nobody called me that. Mm -hmm. Because in Germany, the pronunciation is Fuchinski or Fujinski. Oh, wow. And so a friend of mine was like, your name is so um, difficult. I'm going to start calling you Fitchu Ritchie. And so actually my nickname in Germany was Fitch. No kidding. Yes. So in the States, um, I just saw, and I also went through the difficulties my dad had, you know, Fiochinsky. So he would always say Fusinski because for the very practical reason, 
you're making your call, you're on the phone, you're making a reservation, or you're calling up the electric company or health insurance. And it's always the same thing, like what, you know, last name, and it's like Fusinski. Okay, can you spell that? F I U. Okay, first name. Oh, nope, not done yet. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> so the, it was just easier to do. Right. Yeah. And I, well. I never called myself Fuse until I, you know, people start saying Fusinski, Fusion. Ha. Huh. And I was like, ha, huh, wow. Yeah. Never heard that one before. <laughs> uh, um, but I was on this pop record and they say, so do you want to be Dave or David Fusinski? And somebody said, hey, you have this Fuse name. It's so cool. You should copyright it. <clears throat> and I was like, I don't know if I can do that. But right about then, there was like a DJ Fuse and there was a soda that came out called Fuse. And I thought, you know what? If I told them, why don't you do David Fuse Fusinski? At least that way, in print, I have a legal precedent. There you go. So that was the beginning of the whole Fuse thing. Yes, and then when you're at Berkeley, there's four Davids on the faculty, so they had to find a way, right? And I already got confused with Tronzo. Did yeah. I tell you that? I, well, I was, I was told that David Newsom was David because he was first of the four. Then you had Fuse, Tronzo, and David Gilmore as one name. No space, David Gilmore. And <laughs> I was like, okay. So yeah, there you go. Um, Cheryl, what's on your mind with all of this so far? Everything we've been talking about. Yeah, I mean, I love this discussion and what you're bringing up, Fuse, about just melodies from anywhere and everywhere. You know, that's, that's the thing that draws people in is a beautiful melody or a strange melody or any, you know, whatever the, a, a mysterious melody or, um, and really composers or improvisers or yeah, in any style of music, the, to me, the ones that transcend style are those ones that mm -hmm. are in touch with that. Like I always felt that about Wes Montgomery. You could say, somebody could say, I hate jazz and I hate jazz guitar, but you play him West, but they go, ooh, but I like that. Mm. Or, you know, Bob Marley's, that, you know, or Beethoven, or what, I hate classical music. Mm. Oh, I love that. And, and to me, that thing is that ability to deliver a melody. You know, that, or, the, you know, they would say that's the thing that makes a Broadway show if you're whistling, if the people are whistling the main theme as they go out the door, they have a hit. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing that stays with people, and that transcends style. And that if you're, if you're in that headspace of listening to music on that way, of the more music that I listen to, the more melodies I have to draw from. You know, so that that I, I you know that makes sense to me when you're talking about growing up and you had all these different influences and you didn't you didn't put them in this box of this is a classical melody or this is a jazz melody or this is, you know, it's just the melody moves you yeah. and that's why you love it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a beautiful uh, approach and, and 
a really important approach to be working on with your students. Yeah, to tie it into teaching. I mean, I've heard, we've all probably heard this before, but if you want to um, absorb or learn a new style, start with the melodies. That's the gateway. That's kind of the beginning and the ending. Mm -hmm. There's so many other things you have to learn, but the melody is really the part that, um, I, it, it, it's so important in, in, I don't, in, I'm not sure why I'm thinking of this, but have you ever heard of an Iranian daska? Mm -mm. So in, this was explained to me. So in Iranian or Persian classical music, they apparently abhor scales. They think the concept of a scale is garbage. I so like them they, all. I love so, it already. <laughs> so to learn a specific mode, they have these daskas, which are these four to eight or 16 bar phrases that include all the cliches of that particular mode. Okay. So like a blues, like a blues scale, which I think is a terrible term, you know, blues is not in scale, it's a feeling, but nevertheless, you know, so da. <laughs> So there's your blues scale. If you had a blues daska, it would be something like this. So that would be, that's the way they would teach the blues if we use this daska concept. So it's like we a scale here, one, one step over is like maybe classical melodic minor where the scale has rules. Another step over are Turkish, I mean, uh, Middle Eastern Turkish makams and Indian ragas. In a very crude way, these are scales with rules. That's like a terrible way. But, and then you have this Iranian daska, which is, is, I guess it's like melody to the nth degree, mm -hmm. you know, melody or bust, you know, the, um, so yeah. Kind Sorry, of I'm kind of, of, I'm the, kind of like uh, stream of consciousness. Go ahead. No, it's great. Kind of reminds me of the whole, um, like the uh, Tomasi thing, where instead of just showing you the bebop scale, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, different melodic ideas from each scale degree that gets you into like thinking about the vocabulary as opposed to just like thinking of as like numbers or just like running up and down something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in like the blues scale, I mean, that makes sense because you can't just like, if you start on the, that like, you know, sharp four flat five, it's like, it has to go in a way that matches the sort of vocabulary, right? Of the way that you actually use that scale. You yeah. can't just start on, the, start on that note and just be like, oh, I thought this was like a kosher note. It's in the scale, right? That's yeah, an interesting, I've, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I've heard, always heard about um, Ed Tomasi's teaching. I, I don't know anything about it, but yeah, that sounds cool. I mean, I think maybe this Daska concept is like, Scales are when you learn a new language, you learn the alphabet, I guess, and then you figure out how to spell words. The Dasco would be like, no, we start with basic vocabulary. Yeah, it's like Hello, phonetics. Goodbye, yeah. you know, good morning, good night. I'm sorry, I don't understand. What time is it? 
Um, right. Help. <laughs> help. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and what I, uh, when I took French, we, before we traveled, we had to learn the phrase, I must leave now. How do I leave now? You know, these kinds of things, useful phrases. Right. Um, so Ina, quick question. Oh, Sorry. Quick question. I know this is kind of my moment, but I'm curious, uh, Cheryl and, and, and also Ian, um, and Kim, how do you, how do you teach melodic approaches? Like one of the things that I always um, thought would be interesting would be, you know, because a lot of students, they're, 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 they're still very young, but at a very young age, they already have a lot of ability and vocabulary. And, you know, it comes out as like, you know, they almost have to exercise this stuff, but it comes out as solos where, you know, it's everything in the kitchen sink where everything in there often is really good, but it's just everything, it's too much. Mm -hmm. One of the approaches I recommended, um, and to me, one of the people who uh, or is absolutely genius with the use of space is Miles Davis. Mm -hmm. So what I was saying, why don't you check out a Miles tune learn the tune, but Xerox the chart a mm -hmm. couple of times. If, if Miles takes a three chorus solo, Xerox the chart, sorry, that's like old school Xerox, photocopy <laughs> the chart, print the chart out three times and then draw a line wherever he begins a phrase mm -hmm. and then end it. Mm -hmm. And then you, with your language, you play your own solo. You can do whatever you want, mm -hmm. but you have to start where he starts and you have to stop where he stops. That's I was actually curious, and I've never tried this, what would happen if you did the opposite, if you only soloed in his silence? Spaces. But mm -hmm. how do you, how, what, do you, what do you recommend? And I know, Ian, you're the senior coordinator. You're kind of in between, but you know, um, I'm sure you have ideas as well. You know, um, we just did the super fun lesson in my class today. So I teach class with um, David Toronto actually um, called Modern Writing. So we've done this over two weeks now. We took a, a little uh, motive, five notes and uh, it repeats and it ends with a different note each time. So there's together, there's six different notes. And the first thing they had to do was learn it and memorize it and play it in the same register but everywhere they could play it on the guitar. Oh. and think about timbre. And so you're nice. not just playing it on different string sets, but then you're also adding open strings. So you have that harp scale thing. You're using harmonics where you can, mm -hmm. all the natural oh. harmonics. So sonically, you're getting all this difference. Then you take it, you play the whole thing an octave up and see how that changes it. You play it an octave down. Then you have to start altering the rhythms. And so you have to play it in different rhythms and then notice your tendencies. Like if you had your own choice, would you always play 16th notes? Would you always play, would you never play? Oh, a whole nice. Note? You know, what durations do you use? And then use different ones. Not sure I want to take this class. Do you never syncopate? Do you only syncopate? Then once you've got that, you write them down as many different variations as you can, play them. Then you octave displace one note at a time, mm. right? So like if it's B, G sharp, B, D, E, now you're going to take the Bs and put them up an octave. And then you do it in many different ways as you can. And so it's a pitch class now. So B is any B. Mm. 
G sharp is any G sharp. And so now you can create a baseline, you could create counterpoint, right? You could create giant leaps. Wow. You know, you can divide the phrase because you divide the registers. Okay, then next step, you, you find out what all the intervals are in between in their direction. So it goes, okay, start on B, go down a minor third. Now I go up minor third, go up a second, down a second, whatever it is. And then you um, reverse direction. So you start on your start note and then you reverse the direction of all the intervals. So now you have different notes, right? Because instead of going down a minor third, you went up a minor third. Then you could take that melody that you created and go through the other process. You could also like do the interval chain and get to the end and do it again from the last note. Nice. And you write oh. a bunch of these things out. So now you've got all these different notes, but you're using the different intervals. Then you nice. can change direction at will of the intervals, right? And then you play the whole thing backwards. You do retrograde, right? And so- Is that we, what retrograde is? Retrograde, the way we do it is you just go backwards. I see. Right? So then what we did was we said, okay, now here's a bunch, here's a list of different things. Like I just made a list up of all these different things melodies can do, like ascending, descending, lyrical, pointillistic, um, make it into a repeated figure, like a vamp. And they have to pick them. And, and then they create three different types of melodies and write a piece. Mm. So you could have this repeated figure and then have these like kind of high velocity type lines. And then you could have a long line. You know what I mean? And just so how would you create form and structure and development if all you started with was five notes? And you should have heard, that's why I'm in such a good mood today. You should have heard the pieces that came back and then we did the second round. Cause you know, you, you can, it's all these steps, right? But you're gonna keep going through them. And as you described, it's endless. And so your work is endless, but then you get better and better and better at seeing the yeah. possibilities, right? And then the other part is of course, listening, as you were saying, you've gone through these exercises, you've written all this stuff. If I play you a melody, from a record, can you recognize the parameters? Like, can you say, oh yeah, that's a really pointillistic melody. Like, can you identify what it is that makes it cool? Oh, that's a really lyrical one, or that one's polytonal, or you know what I'm saying? Like, um, because you have to kind of build your awareness, I think, to open up your ears. So that's why I was really excited about what you were talking about, because I feel like it's very similar. I'm excited not only about what you're saying, but the fact that you use the term pointillism. I like, mm -hmm. I, I'm, I am so into art. I have no chops, you know, when my kid was little, you know, my stick figures and crocodiles and so forth improved, but otherwise it's, it's, it's horrible. But yeah, I've used that and I show pictures to students of pointillism. Mm -hmm. to give them ideas of what they can do. I love it. Or have you ever seen the, um, the Piet Mondrian's, you know who he is? Mm -hmm. Piet Mondrian? Yeah. Um, uh, his development? Uh-huh. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It gets like, more and more... But Basic the thing is, what's, 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 um, where is it? <laughs> what's amazing 
is how he started. Right. I think you're going to have to describe it more than show it too, because we have. So basically, listening. so he's this really avant-garde painter mm -hmm. who ended up just doing these geometrical squares and lines in different colors. <laughs> but if you go backwards, you'll see that he used more abstract curves. And then if you go backwards, you see that it's this kind of like grid that is almost undulating. And to make a long story short, if you go backwards, it's from him painting trees and looking at the spaces between the uh, branches. That's interesting. And so I show the there. I can't find it right now, but there's a there's a look in the wrong place. But there's like eight pictures where it's a tree, mm -hmm. and then it's closer of just like the you know the arabesque of the different branches, and then it gets more geometric, and then it's mm. more square, and then it gets more simple. And you know, and then if you look at the beginning and the end, if you look at like, I mean, it's this is not really good, but it's more like lines, <laughs> right. uh, lines and and squares, and and then if you think, wow, this was based on a tree. Yeah, you know, if you find it, we'll show it. We'll we'll share it with everyone so they can okay. see it. But it is kind of amazing. That, that I love that progression of art as well. Like how the realistic becomes the abstract. Yeah, I love the fact that and you're bringing in, I mean, do you use pictures or you just use that term point? Yeah, because there's a lot of graphic scores because the idea of modern writing is it could be all notated, it could be a chart, it could be directions, it could be a graphic score. Hmm. You know, they're all things that, and there's so many beautiful combinations of composers who, you know, write these things that you could frame. You know, hmm. um, and so we, we've gone over um, to the uh, MFA as well, because there was a, um, a whole set of, um, of artists that, that inspired different composers. And so they had like a, um, the Bauhaus school is what it was called. And they had a bunch mm -hmm. of prints and stuff. They had a whole exhibit. So before the pandemic, we had a few field trips over to the to the um to the museum nice. so um well, i can guarantee you nobody wants to frame my scores that's for sure <laughs> i don't know i've seen your alligator drawings in your office with your son's artwork and they're quite good i well, have to say i like the, i think you make a very good alligator um <laughs> hey cheryl what about you what about what do you think about when you think about melody like what resonates with you in that conversation well i i've learned something from Hal Crook when I was a student, who, by the way, was one of my favorite teachers, and I've certainly stolen as much of his <laughs> concepts as possible. But he, you know, he had this thing, I mean, in terms of improvising, I think there's a, a, a point where students or whoever's playing, they're not in the moment, and they're not conscious, and they're just moving their fingers, and, and maybe they're moving their fingers because they're insecure or they're moving their fingers because they're not connecting with it. So it, I think it, it's this exercise of, of training yourself to be in the moment. And in, when you get to play like that, that is actually a really vulnerable place when you're mm -hmm. leaving space. It oh, can be terrifying. Yeah. yeah. So how Crook had this thing of, you know, this, he, he would be the phrasing police. 
right? And and so if I have an opportunity to be with a student, because you know the thing is, you so, they'll start playing something and they'll but they'll play twenty things in one mm -hmm. chorus, and it's like mm -hmm. the first idea they started out with. I was like, you had me there, but then you lost me. But they're not even aware of that. So that's what how would do with us. And so I try to do that with my students to, to just say, okay, I'm going to tell you to stop. Not because what you're playing isn't good, but just to be aware of what did you just play? Can you sing back what you, did you mean what you played or were you just, okay, so you make those, those decisions in that moment. It's sort of split second. So when I say stop, take that moment to reflect and, and go, a, I love that idea, let me develop it. B, I don't like that idea, I didn't really mean it, let me start with something new, but don't play till you're ready. And, it, and for a lot of them, it's the first time they felt that space in a phrase. So we might go through that, but then, you know, hopefully you can take that. It, it's much harder to do that in your own practice, but if you can feel comfortable with that and just to start to get that awareness, that's what you really have to take to be, all the great soloists have that that sense of like miles and like sometimes, you know, he would always say it's the notes I don't play that make the notes I play more meaningful. And I think that's the point when you have someone who's developing these chops and they can get through the changes and maybe they have a lot of the language together. It's a matter of now take that focus and chop that up. It's, or, or sometimes I describe it as more of being a sculptor. Mm. You know, the art of sculpting is taking stuff away to get what is the idea. Right. Oh, I like You know that. what I mean? Like, if you think about it that way, you want to, the more that you chop out, the more clear the idea is. So sometimes mm. I just think, you know, you, and it could be funny, you know, if you're doing that with a student, you say, stop. And they're like, what? And like, okay, it's cool, you know, just. I'm going to have to write this down. Get in the groove that. with that. But, but anyway, I, I mean, I learned that from Hal Crook, and it, it really helped me. It, it really opened up my eyes when he did that with us. So it's, you know, I try to take that on and carry on the tradition of the phrasing police. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I also love what you said about sculpting, because yes. that's going back to art. That's a, the famous Michelangelo quote was they asked him how he um, how he sculpted David and he said he didn't, he freed him from the marble, right? And I think that's helpful going back to like our first set of conversations. There's something about like, you already have it in you and you're just freeing it is a lot less terrifying than now you have to build something on the spot and you don't know if you can do it. I think um, that's a nice grounding image, Cheryl, that you're giving people the idea that you're you're sculpting what's there. I want to hear from Ian, but me too. Cheryl, I'll make you a deal <laughs> because I want to steal that, and I'll I'll let you, you can, decide. We should give our payments to Hal Crook. Um, <laughs> talk about payment. This really, the following really got really gets students' attention. I used to do this with my money. You know, obviously now with COVID, you're not, but when we were in person, I would actually get them to reach into their pocket and give me their money. And what I would say is, listen, what you played, look at these ideas as musical gems. Look at each of these ideas, pretend each of these ideas is money. Pretend each one of these is like a thousand dollar bill. <laughs> If you're moving forward, let's say a line is your solo. 
and you play an idea here and pay and you know, move on to the next or next. This is what you're doing. You're taking your money and you're throwing it out. So now it used to be mine, but me walking through the room with their money, throwing their <laughs> money on the floor, you know, that like really, you know, got their attention. Um, so I'll trade you. If you want to use that one, I, I want to really use this sculptor. Take things away. <laughs> because the analogy I was using, I think, was annoying them. Because, you know, they, you know, they're, they're in it, they want to play and they don't want to hear and it's like, oh, can you play less, you know, less is mm. more, you know, they don't want. So I, I was saying things like, okay, music and language speech have parallels. Absolutely. Um, people who talk too much, we have some nasty words for them, right? Space invader, motor mouth and worse. And they nod. Good. So if we don't like that person, why would you want to sound like that person? Mm. It doesn't reach them. This, ooh, this goes straight. <laughs> you, and especially if you take their money and, th you know, I give them the money back, obviously. Yeah, but if they good. see, this is like, this is your, not just, this is your money, your ideas. You're throwing them away. Mm -hmm. That gets their attention. What do you think, Ian? Yeah, I mean, I get, I've got nothing to say about Melody that's nearly as deep as Kim or Cheryl. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, like, my, like, uh, relationship with it lately has been, like, uh, uh, talking about my relationship with Melody lately. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I've been... You're kind of laying on the couch too, yeah. by the way. Like you know, Ian's laying on the couch talking about his relationship with Melody. Yeah, let's. Uh, What's going let's on, Ian? That. <laughs> Good. No, I mean I've I've been playing a lot of traditional music, and like even though for you know throughout like my teens and most of my twenties, I was like trying to play a lot more jazz and like trying to relate mm -hmm. things to concepts and harmony. And improvising things based on the harmony and a lot of the times like you know great jazz musicians like obviously don't do this but like I would think about it in terms of the lead sheet and what the chord symbol said rather than what the melody is and what like the the sort of kernel of truth in the song and playing traditional music has really um brought me back to that in that like um you know in a lot of like American traditional music like bluegrass like um, you improvise based more on the melody rather than like just the harmony. And I've been playing a lot of Irish traditional music lately mm -hmm. where you just play the melody, play the melody over and over and over again. And at least that's what it says on paper. But mm -hmm. if you really listen and you get in to what people are doing, I mean, and it's like, it's not really the same each time. And each time mm -hmm. they play the A section, they're putting something else on there. And mm -hmm. it's all entirely intentional. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I read an interview with a guy who knew my great grandfather was an Illin Piper. And he said that there was like What's very that? intentional ways. That's the traditional Irish um, pipes. Wow. Um, and he was like saying that there's a, he would really get on him. Like he was a student of my great grandfather. And he said he would really get on him if he used a turn, uh, a, like an ornament in a way that, 
seemed unnecessary or didn't really work in that instance. And it's like you you hear it and you think like, you know, you can just put a little something wherever you want it. But like, actually, these things are very, you know, intentional. And so when I think about like, when I've been learning, like, say, a reel, like, I'll listen to the way this concertina player plays it, who I really like to listen to. And then I'll go back and listen to this other band that I like and find out what are the things that are different in the way they're playing this melody, even though they're both ostensibly playing just this straight melody and there's one way to play it. But like, there's things that are different Mm -hmm. in each one, both in what they do on each repeat, but also each way that the different people treat it. And it's like, what are the constants in there to keep? And what are the sort of things to take that's their personality in there? And then you start to think about like how you do it. And so like my own way would be like to sort of put anticipations on things or syncopate these things. And like really what it is, I mean, that's a melodic device or sorry, a a rhythmic device. Mm -hmm. But to me, I feel like it's like salt. You know, it's like if you're making a a soup, you know, you're making like a, a carrot soup, you know, like you put a little bit of salt and somehow you can taste one of the ingredients that you put in there more, right? It brings out the acidity of the, you know, whatever root vegetable you're putting in your soup. And it's like with a little small anticipation, you know, that F sharp, you know, you you put it a little bit sooner and it's like, wow, Mm -hmm. that one note sticks out a lot more. But of course, Mm. it's really easy to oversalt something, right? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I I really love that. I love that. I'm so glad you talked about that, Ian, because I had like the, when I was hoping to, to become more stylistically diverse after I had sort of gotten deeper into classical music, it was the traditional musicians who were my first friends and collaborators because so much of what we both do is interpretation. It's all these subtleties that become huge deals. Right. And so on the surface, yeah, you could say, Oh, it's just that melody. It's the same every time you're just playing it, but you're not because the way you're interpreting it does change the character of it does give you a signature that someone else doesn't have. And, and um, that's what we as classical musicians had in common um, with folk musicians. So that's really cool to hear that. Um, You know, all of this talk about um, stylistic diversity and learning and teaching styles it kind of segues as things always do to this question that actually Ian always asks. And I'm wondering if, if you wouldn't mind starting that off, Ian. Sure. So here's a question that we ask everybody in Coffee Talk, which is um, what are some things that students should be thinking about that they might not even realize that they should be asking about? Like, like what's a question that you feel like they should be asking or something they should be uncovering that they wouldn't even think to ask. Wow. <laughs> Need a little Java for that. Everyone does that too. Everyone goes, whoa, you know. Um, well, I virtually start every semester in every private lesson and um, and I'm not making this up. Um, I just 
did the same thing this semester. Every uh, ensemble, I say I have two really important and actually very difficult questions for you. What do you want and what do you need? When you tell me what you want, I want you to go in all the way, have courage to really reach for the stars. And now this might answer your question, Ian. <clears throat> the second question, so the, the first question is ignoring everything above your neck. So no brain, it's all heart. I want you to go back, you know, tune into your id. Go back to you were four years old and you went to that uh, toy store and you got that doll or fire truck, whatever. There's no thought. It's like, you have to have it. The second question, I want you to go upstairs. And now I want, you, so downstairs, I want you to be a child. Upstairs, I want you to be an adult and have the courage to say, you know what? I'm not very good at this. This is what I really need. So that's, I'm, I mean, I've never really thought about it the way you phrased it. Um, but that starts them on the journey of not just learning, but also identifying. Oh, I'm good at this. This needs work. It's about honesty. Mm -hmm. Then the other thing I would say is, is, is that where, you know, I mentioned, you know, you know I, I watch you play, I'm amazed. I'm, uh, I close my eyes. I don't know who you, who you are. So I think the questions they should be asking is what they want to do when they're, when they leave Berkeley. And do they know what they want to play? And most don't. And so the questions in a way I ask them is, I mean, this isn't really radical or new, but it's like, do, do you have a music diary? Um, and that addresses actually a lot of issues. A lot of issues are there's so much that they have to learn and it's hard to organize it all. And you can't learn it all in four years. So I remember vividly, I had a class with Rand Blake at New England Conservatory. You know, Rand is among other things known as this piano player with this incredible coloristic harmonic vocabulary. So he was showing this non-traditional way of reharmonizing re melodies like just playing a major scale. And instead of diatonically harmonizing it, you harmonize every note with triads that aren't in that key. And I thought this was so hip, but I also thought, gosh, what, 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 what am, I mean, I don't, I don't have any room. That started my music diary. 
And it just, you know, I, I wrote it down and I had an old folder at home and I popped it in. And then eventually I organized it in a way that um, Hank Isnetsky at New England Conservatory, mm-hmm. he, um, I met with him one day and I said, you know, guitaristically, I kind of know what I want right now. I know the things I have to work on. I know what I want. I kind of have a direction musically. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So based on his concept, I have this thing, you know, and I make them write their name at the top of the page. And then in red, a heart inside of a heart, in your heart of hearts, your backstage, let's say the student's name is Frank or Barbara, you're backstage and you hear 3000 people go, Barbara, Barbara, Barbara. Okay. On the bottom, I start as Hank has started me off orchestration. It's a big word, but you walk on stage, your band, what is it besides you, of course? And again, I really, this is a, oh, this is a downstairs question. Go back to being a kid. Don't not, now don't think like an adult. Okay. There's 3000 people at $20. That's like, you know, so I could afford a big, you know, if you, so for me, it was screaming at the torsos. I, went, I wanted a, a bass, drums, guitar, and the singer. I didn't want a keyboard player. I didn't want a trio. It was a quartet. That's what I wanted in my heart of hearts. Okay, the next thing was rhythm versus uh, slash style. What kind of rhythms do you want to use? What kind of stylistic elements? Even if you only have a reggae groove in the bridge of one tune, you write that in there. And then harmony and melody, write down. And what what I really like about this concept is it's all written in words. You don't have to write a single note, but be brutal. This isn't like, oh, I should probably add a Stravinsky because Stravinsky was a genius. No, you should inform yourself about Stravinsky. But if you don't like Stravinsky, it's like Stravinsky, Shmashrinsky, you know, I don't care. So my examples were like gospel harmonies. Um, For some reason, I like minor six chords. Um, I love the uh, Wagner's Tristan and Isolde harmonies. Um, I love riff oriented stuff. And then melody. Um, In general, I like the way Coltrane and Miles organize their melodies. Um, but I tell them Pinocchio and Nefertiti by Wayne Shorter. I actually have no, I've covered a lot of tunes. I have no interest in in covering these, but I really admire these melodies. So that goes into your melody bank. Mm -hmm. So Ian, long, long answer. The question that they should be asking themselves is among other things, who are they? And I think I can help them how to, um, to get there in your heart of hearts, you know, six months, a year, you think, you know, things change, but right now, what are the harmonies? And it's, it's those things where you go, oh, oh, yeah. you know, they, they just blow you away. 
Uh, melodically, Eric Dolphy on the blues, um, uh, on uh, on honesty, and there's this mild uh, Mingus tune. Um, so try and try and have at least 10, 20 examples of short sections. You know, the the bridge of so and so, the four bar phrase at the end of the chorus of this tune. And I don't care what it is, jazz, pop, and ideally there's stylistic diversity. And so then like the word magnets on a refrigerator, you can like switch these things around, make, you know, you would make funny sentences or you leave yourself a note, get milk. This is a much deeper thing. This is the question you should be answering. And if you, I mean, asking and actually answering. And the way you answer it is by being completely honest, brutal, like a kid in your heart of hearts. Yeah, I want that, I don't know. I want that Millie Vanilli groove. I don't want that, you know, Stravinsky, get him out of here, you know? <laughs> uh, um, and if you're really honest about it, if you hold up this sheet, it should be a mirror. Mm. And it actually can be your safe place. You know, when you get up in the morning on the wrong side of bed and everything goes wrong, here's a place you can go. And this is in a way where some of your worst moments can turn into your best tunes. Mm. So it's, I guess the answer, the question, the question they should be should be asking is who am I and what I want to say. That's beautiful. sorry, I guess that was a long answer. No, that's great. That's a keeper. We're gonna be listening to that. So on repeat. Um, I slightly brag about this and I say, listen, this may be the most important lesson you ever get because. I was stunned when Hankus Netsky laid that on me. It was so mm -hmm. clear and I was, and you know, it's not really radical. We have music mm -hmm. diaries and we draw on them, blah, blah, blah. It's not a new concept, but I was like, this really, I, I, I'm here and I wanna be there. I know, don't know how to get there. Hankus gave me the map. That's beautiful. And it was really, really profound. I love that. What I love about this question is, Ian, it's almost like um, through you, we all get to ask these amazing teachers the things that we probably should have asked our teachers when we were all studying. And so thanks for um, asking that again each time. Um, we can all walk away with that. That's really beautiful. Um, thanks, Ian. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ian. Well done once again. <laughs> um, Cheryl, what are you thinking about as, as we're kind of wrapping this pot of coffee up or this cup of tea up? Wow, well, you know, we could maybe make another round with well, this we conversation. we certainly will at some point, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, no, I, that, was, that was fantastic um, what you just shared with us and um, I'm going to be stealing that too. Great. That's good. Also, I noticed that um, our our junior director of the guitar office also seemed to really enjoy yes, that. Yes, this is a assistant it's, to the assistant. That's uh, Joni the cat. Um, Joni the cat. She's she really, joined she, while you were saying those beautiful <laughs> words. So I think that says something. 
Yeah, I know, and I, I really love that. I, you know, often we talk to students about, oh, you know, create some sort of diary in this way, but that that diary isn't does, doesn't have to be a schedule or words. It can be more just a creative place of scribbles and, you know, yeah. they could yeah. make collages in it. It doesn't have to be this sort of uniform, mm -hmm. um, you know, it could be, yeah, like that, like a kid would make a kid's scrapbook even. I think those are all, that could be really powerful. So that's cool. It makes me think about expanding that idea with students in terms of, yeah, have a yeah. diary, but this diary isn't, doesn't have to be just like point nine a.m. do this, 10 a.m. do this, you know. Like, yeah, yeah, can, yeah, yeah. It can really be a place to develop your, your because that's so important about this. So in a way, it, it's, Sometimes people talk about these vision boards, but it's not, it's deeper than that. You know what I mean? Where, where this could be a place, it's kind of like your sandbox to, um, to not have restraints on you and really go for um, something deeper and, and help you cultivate going to those deeper places. There was that book, The Artist's Way, maybe, you know, people were into years ago where you would just write oh, yeah. every day. You know, and I think, you know, that maybe in some ways that was sort of pop culture simplistic thing. But because I think, you know, this is a deeper version of that. Like there's that place every day where you can just go and dream and and um, go beyond what you think you're supposed to, you know, you know, whatever. Yeah, mm -hmm. I like the thing mm -hmm. about thinking about like you're a kid, how kids just have that openness to, to go yeah. through things. Yeah. I also love that image of just being so forward with students and saying, what do you want in your heart of hearts? Because sometimes I think when you're young, especially if you're, you know, you're trying to make a good impression or trying to like seem like you're on it. When someone just asks you, you know, like, who are you in your heart? Like, what do you love? It just feels so exposed. And to have your teacher say like, this is what I do. And this is your job is to go there. It gives them permission. It gives us all permission mm -hmm. in a way to do the really vulnerable thing, which is not easy when you're also trying to put yourself out there, but you have to do it or you can't really put yourself out there. So it's, um, I think it's really powerful. I think it's great that you go, you cut right to it, you know? Well, share this, share the following with me. Um, another reason why I do it, and this is kind of new over the last couple of years, I mean, I'm going to date myself now. When I went to school in the late 80s, <laughs> um, and even when I started teaching, I had the vibe from students of like, you know, I want to be a rock star. I want to go for it. I'm going to do music. You know, it's it's New York, L.A., Nashville, or bust. And, and often they, under, they even understood that following an artist's path is fraught with hurdles and setbacks and um but i now see more and more students they arrive at school and they're already kind of beaten up and they when i ask them what do you want to do and they're like well you know I'll probably teach, you know, so I have like a fallback position, which is fine, great, which is in a way something I would criticize about myself or somebody else. Yeah, we're going to be rock stars, you know. But I would I would hope, especially students of that age, 
would come in, ah, I want to be a rock star. Oh, but I also have a fallback position. But it kind of breaks my heart that they're already already kind of beaten up before they've even gotten beaten up by the real, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're already like, yeah, they're already like, they're already censoring themselves. Yeah, it's oh. funny. I, I'm not sure that they've been beaten up yet. I think they're just afraid. And I think they're also unable to acknowledge that there is no such thing as a fallback because teaching is not a fallback. It's a calling and it's its own deep yeah. musical avenue. You don't fall back into someone else's profession. You can't, you know, and, and I think there's a mindset of hedging your bets, yeah. but it's not based in actually being beaten up yet. It's based in the fear of failure before you begin. And so I think. And um, so I, I kind of just say, okay, cool. But if you really want me to work with, for, for me to work with you in the most effective way, it would help me if I knew, and even better if you knew, mm -hmm. what's in your heart of hearts. Well, I think that's why it's even more important that you do that because, um, because hopefully they'll find it. And no matter which avenue it is, then they can go for it all the way, you know, because you, you can't give yourself a chance, I think, unless you go for it all the way which is what you're talking about. You know? Yeah. Well, Ian, um, great, great question. Ian, what a Ian, question. Thanks for having. Answer, you know, and, um, yeah. do you have a final thought, Ian? Yeah. I mean, I guess that, <laughs> you know, we all generally come out of this podcast talking to some fantastic guitar player or somebody mm -hmm. like, I'm going to go practice. I'm going to go work <laughs> on this or that. And I like how this, this week it's like, I'm going to go think about what, I'm going to practice and why it serves a greater goal to who I want to be. You know, I'm going to go write some things down actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, so um, David Fusinski, professor Fuse, thank you for being on coffee talk and thank um, you. everybody. Thank you, Cheryl. Oh, Cheryl, just yeah. really quickly. Thank you. <laughs> I love the sculptor taking things away. I mean, I have so many students who have so much ability mm. and they really need to take something away. And I am not kidding when I show you this, but I start every semester with a lot of hair in my head and I, it's, I'm literally tearing my hair out <laughs> to get them to play less. Here, this is here. Let me show you something. It's, this is, this is probably like mid semester when I get really frustrated and I really start, you know, <laughs> pulling the hair out here, I'm putting in the, this picture in the chat window. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we may have to share it with everyone. Or we maybe not. Or maybe <laughs> not. <We'll> just... <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Well, you know, I'm really glad we have each other. <laughs> if anyone was ever ever wondering if we all are here to support each other. We steal. <laughs> I'm stealing a lot of the melodic development ideas from both all of these three people and, um, and our, our great ideas. And uh, so thank you all for being here. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Cheryl. And um, thank you, David. And uh, everybody go write some melodies. Think about what's in your heart of hearts. Have another coffee and we'll see you next time. <laughs>